Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the first episode of the second season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. And I'm Jordan, the group scientist. We are so excited to be starting the second season. The first season got over 5,000 plays, and that is absolutely awesome. Couldn't do it without all of you listeners. Uh, we still have sponsorship opportunities on the podcast. If you want a commercial on the podcast episodes, uh, email ghostencounterspa at gmail.com. We have a lot of spooky and cool stuff planned for Season 2 of Ghost Encounters Podcast, and we are so excited to uh, go on this ride with you. But today, to start off the second season, since it is Shark Week, I was feeling like there's some blood in the waters, and I know Jordan is a bit of a shark expert, so I think a Shark Week episode would be awesome. I'm so excited about this episode. It's, it's kind of different for us to like talk about anything other than like haunted places, serial killers, like it's gonna be fun to talk well, about Well, there's a stuff. lot of killing happening on Woo-hoo. this episode, but they are by sharks. Sharks, dun dun. Most people have this weird fascination with shark attacks and love hearing about them, but they are relatively rare, are they not? Yeah. Statistically, you are far more likely to what, get struck by lightning than you are to be a victim of a shark attack? Oh, absolutely. But can you think of anything worse than treading water miles from land while sharks are circling around you? It must be horrifying to watch your friends, family, or comrades being ripped into pieces one by one, knowing that your turn is coming and that there is absolutely nothing you can do. Here are the worst ever recorded shark attacks in the world. The main, biggest, and most well-known shark attack uh, was on the USS Indianapolis in 1945. 879 fatalities. It doesn't mean they were all eaten by sharks, because this was a World War II ship, but a majority of them were eaten by sharks. The USS Indianapolis was built in Camden, New Jersey. The ship was launched in 1931 and commissioned by the U.S. Navy the following year. A Portland-class heavy cruiser, the Indianapolis was 610 feet 3 inches long and weighed 9,950 tons. It carried a main battery of 9 8-inch guns and 8 5-inch anti-aircraft guns. Powered by 8 boilers turning 4 steam turbines, the ship could reach speeds of more than 32 knots. After the United States entered World War II, the ship was assigned to aircraft carrier task forces in the Pacific. The Indianapolis participated in the bombardment of the Japanese island of Iwo Jima in February 1945. The following month, the Indianapolis was damaged by a Japanese kamikaze plane off of Okinawa Island, but it was soon repaired and returned to active service. In late July 1945, the Indianapolis was sent on a high-speed voyage to deliver cargo to a U.S. airbase in Tinian, one of the Mariana Islands in the Western Pacific. However, no one on board knew that the cargo consisted of parts for atomic bombs. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's I didn't know that either. Kind of traumatic bit of <laughs> right <laughs> cargo to have on your ship. The Indianapolis traveled from San Francisco to Tianan in only ten days. After completing the delivery on July 26th, it proceeded to Guam and then was sent to Layette Gulf in the Philippines. The ship had traveled about halfway to Layette when it was hit shortly after midnight on July 30th. 
A Japanese torpedo hit the Indianapolis in the starboard bow, blowing almost 65 feet of the ship's bow out of the water and igniting a tank containing 3,500 gallons of aviation fuel into the pillar of fire shooting several hundred feet into the sky. Could you imagine, like, if you actually, like, had the opportunity to see that? Like, off into right. the water. But not only is your <laughs> ship getting a torpedo hit and a huge chunk is being blown out, but now the fuel that was there yeah. is ignited and yeah. shooting a pillar of fire <laughs> into the fucking sky. That's insane. That is insane. But it doesn't stop. Then another torpedo from the same submarine hit closer to the midship, hitting fuel tanks and powder magazines, setting them on a chain reaction of explosions that effectively ripped the Indianapolis in two. Yeah, it split it right down the middle, didn't it? Yeah, Almost like right the down Titanic. The right? Yeah, but this, but the Titanic took, what, over two hours to sink? Oh, okay. Um, still traveling at 17 knots, the Indianapolis began taking on massive amounts of water, and it sank in just 12 minutes. Oh, wow. Very quick. There was, like, there was just nothing that these people were going to be able to do. No, nothing you at all. You just got blown up. Just... Of the 1,196 men on board... 900 made it into the water alive. Their ordeal, which is considered the worst shark attack in history, was just the beginning. Oh my goodness, here we go. As the sun rose on July 30th, the survivors bobbed in the water. Life rafts were scarce. The living searched for the dead floating in the water and pretty much took their life jackets for people who didn't have any. Like, wasn't their life rafts, like, not... They didn't have, like, the bottom, like, the modern-day ones that, like, blow up. They no. were, like, kind of just little floaty things with, like, little, like, rope nets. Yeah, like, it, it was, it, like... Just imagine, like, a rectangular floaty, and then there's just, like, a net at the bottom, kind of. Yeah, so, like, they were still, like... In the water. In the water. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like the body, half their bodies are still in the water. That's so scary. <laughs> Hoping to keep some balance of order, survivors began forming groups, some small and some over 300. Uh, in the open water. Soon enough, they'd be staffing off exposure, thirst, and sharks. The animals were drawn by the sound of the explosions, the sinking of the ship, the thrashing of people in the water, and blood in the water. The sharks that began to surround them were oceanic white tips. Aren't oceanic white tips kind of like the most aggressive, Jordan? Yeah, it depends on which kind of person you're talking to. Normally, people rank like great whites then they'll go to tigers and bulls and stuff like that but in reality oceanic white tips sometimes even travel together so when you see one you may see another right so they travel it. in packs yeah so you, see so one, you may have them in more. like pods and schools or whatever you want to call it um but yeah uh i would personally consider them one of the most aggressive just for the simple fact that they're curious mm -hmm. they're not shy they're bold if they see you they're going to boop you with their nose and check you out. And if you move, they're probably going to bite you. It's just how they are. They're, and, you know, they're open ocean sharks. They live, they live out there. Uh, food's not really in the open ocean like it is, like, you know, coastal-wise where mm -hmm. reefs are. So if they see something, they're probably going to want to eat it because they're hungry. Right. They're you hungry, know? so if they see something, they're going to take the chance. and Yeah. Not that it. they really want to eat people that's... That's not on their food chain, but if it's laying there, it's pro they're probably going to want to eat it. Try it out, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Are they attracted to blood, sound, or both? They're, they have the normal, like, sharks, that they're attracted to blood. They're, um, they have sound, like if they're splashing in the water, stuff like that. Um, but in a recent study, they actually found that oceanic white tips, they respond to, like, sound. Like, More. scientists have put, like music underwater and they respond to that more than they respond to chumming like 
chumming is when they throw the throw the right. like guts and stuff in the water. Right. So these so they're high, much more responsive to, to sound hearing. than they are yeah. to blood in the water. Yeah. Now here we have you know torpedoes exploding and a huge ship sinking and and 900 people in the water flailing about and yelling and screaming and yeah. everything else. And oceanic white tips are opportunistic feeders. They'll target anything that they come across. They they can't afford to be picky. Like I said, like. Food scarce. Yeah, they'll go after whatever they need to survive. You know, it could be fish, sea turtles, seabirds, and even shipwreck survivors. They also can't ever stop moving. Most people know this. Certain sharks, they can they can um, get oxygen. Like they kind of push water through their gills if they're like staying like nurse sharks. That like in certain sharks can just stay at the bottom and they they can do it themselves. But these kinds of sharks, along with gray whites and other open ocean sharks, they have to keep moving. They don't ever stop moving. If they stop oh. moving, they die. Wow. So they have to move to get oxygen through their lungs. Um, and they also have to keep their mouth kind of open, so that's why they always look like they're smiling because <laughs> they have they have to have some, some way of getting it through their, their if I, gills. If I saw that, I don't know if I'd call it a smile. <laughs> <laughs> they're also um, one of the very few species of sharks that are known to have, like, bitten and actually, like, killed and, like, went after humans, like, actively, like, seem to hunt humans. Mm. Um but these incidents, as we know, are rare and most certainly are a case of mistaken identity, which is like, you know, how every case goes with sharks. Most of the time it's just a bite and then they kind of flee because they realize that you're not their food. Um, Appearance-wise, what makes oceanic white tips different? Like, how can you spot one? So oceanic white tips, they are they have the white tips on their dorsal fin, but they also have like a rounded dorsal fin. So oh. it's not as pointy like the typical horror movie Jaws like fin. Right. So this yeah. one you, you could might think it's a dolphin, but it's, but it's not because it has the white on the <laughs> fin. And it, yeah, like and unfortunately, because of these like types of fins that they have, they're highly desirable for shark fin soup, which is a big issue oh. right now. Um, yeah, they're really they're a high target catch. And um, they basically catch these sharks in nets or whatever and cut their fins off and just throw the shark back in the water and well, let it die. Not, yeah, they're not going to be able to move, so yep. they're just going to die. Yeah. So it's really unfortunate. You know, um, they're super targeted by commercial fisheries. Um, and the species has, their population has been driven down, which is really terrible. And they're actually considered to be vulnerable to extinction. And a lot of places are trying to fight to legally protect them in the waters. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty unfortunate. Because they, like, if you, like me, have this, like, weird, like, love for sharks, it's so sad to know that all of these species soon may not be there. Right. But they are aggressive. Don't go swimming with the oceanic white Where tip. can you find them? Mostly in the Pacific, right? Yeah, you can find them out, you can find them worldwide in tropical and subtropical waters, because um, they are pelagic sharks, which is open ocean sharks. Um in the Pacific, I guess. I guess you would say that. There's open ocean, pretty much. Gotcha. But like, warm, warmer water. Yeah, warmer water. They're they're like one of, like with a mako, a blue, oceanic white tip, and a silky shark. They're the ones that are like mostly over there where we're talking about. Right. Where this, where the, it sank by the Philippines and stuff. So they're like the shark species out there. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, Jordan, I know you have a deep love and passion for sharks. I do. I actually sponsor two sharks. What are their names? One is Maverick that I just recently got. Um, he is a um, hammerhead shark. He's in the Gulf, mm -hmm. Mexico. And then I also have one named Brunswick. 
Brunswick. Yeah, he's, he's up in like Nova Scotia. He's a gray white. He's a juvenile gray white oh, shark. Wow. He's so cute. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't have a love uh, for sharks. Most people are, I would say, terrified of them. I would be terrified. I'm kind of terrified of sharks, but they are uh, becoming endangered. It yeah. is awful what is being happening to them, even though. The stories we were talking about are complete tragedies. That yeah, to a shark yeah. attacks. It's terrible. But. <laughs> but now we know a little bit more about oceanic white tips. Let's hear about what happened to these survivors floating around in the water. The first night, the sharks focused on the floating dead, but the survivors' struggle in the water only attracted more and more sharks, which could feel their motions. What is this called when sharks can kind of feel the motions in the water? So sharks, along with other species of like fish, have a thing called a lateral line. Um, it's a biological feature that um, picks up changes in pressure and like movements in the water, and it, that can happen like hundreds of yards away. That's so crazy that an actual creature has yeah. that ability. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of freaky, like to know all this stuff. Like these like things live in our oceans. Yeah, they're so cool. Uh, as the sharks turned their attention toward the living, especially the injured and the bleeding, uh, sailors tried to quarantine themselves away from anyone with an open wound, and when someone died, they would kind of just push the body away, hoping to sacrifice the corpse and return to, you know, not get bitten by a shark. Yeah, there are survivors that say, like, uh, we had no choice but to push them away because the just because the body was gone like the person was gone the body was like just decomposing floating and yeah. floating there and these kinda sharks kind of know that something's wrong with it like sharks are known to go after injured whales like right. so if they see this person thing it it's floating bleeding it's, they're gonna go after it yeah imagine they that kinda your, went after your, your that. friend your comrade is injured and you gotta he's gotta quarantine himself away alone or you know one of your friends or comrades is dead floating in the water and you literally have to push their body away for the sharks to eat it away from you. Yep, and then you just, they're there one second and gone the next, just under probably getting caught in a frenzy sharks. Yeah. Many survivors were paralyzed with fear, unable to even eat or drink from the meager rations that they, you know, salvaged from the ship. One group of survivors made the mistake of opening a can of Spam but before they could taste it, oh the God. scent of the meat drew in a swarm of sharks around them. And they pretty much just had to throw their food and risk starving versus risking a shark attack. Yeah, like, I know that they were desperate and everything, but freaking Spam? Spam stinks! <laughs> it does. But that's crazy. They're opening it outside of the water. Yeah. And the sharks are smelling it. Their senses are incredible. Yeah. It's pretty insane. Pretty cool. The sharks fed for days with no sign of rescue for the men. Navy intelligence had intercepted a message from the Japanese submarine that said it had torpedoed the Indianapolis, describing how it had sunk, but um, they kind of saw it as a trick to lure uh, American rescue boats and into an ambush. Oh, so they just ignored it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. They had the info, but they thought it was going to turn into an ambush. They thought it was fake. Well, I mean, you can't blame them. Right. You know, we were at war. In the meantime, the Indianapolis survivors learned that they had best odds in a group, and ideally at the center of the group. Um, the men on the margins, or worse alone, were most susceptible to sharks. Obviously, if you're in a big group, in a big circle, it's going to be the ones on the ends that are going yeah. to be picked off. Yeah. They're probably also intimidated by the size of the group. They probably perceived it as, like, one big creature. Right. And not just, like, one person swimming by themselves alone. Right. So it probably worked in their benefit. Because, you know, oceanic white tips aren't the biggest things in the ocean. They're they, I don't know their average size off the top of my head, but, you know, that probably is one thing. 
yeah. the bob and like weave of them going in and investigating right. Versus, and going back you know, out. Having small groups and people yeah. off on their own, they kind of decide to come together, which definitely helped them. Yeah. As the days passed, many survivors succumbed to heat and thirst or suffered hallucinations that compelled them to drink seawater around them. A sentence of death by salt poisoning. That's terrible. Your throat probably like swells up and kills yeah. you. Those who slacked their thirst would slip into madness, foaming at the mouth as their tongues and lips swelled. They often became a great threat to survivors as the sharks circling below, many just dragged their comrades underwater as they died. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Like, cause imagine like you, you're like, if you don't have a raft and you're out there in the water kicking. Yeah. Cause those, think about the time frame we're talking about here. Days, people. days are passing. We're talking about days and we're talking about a time where the life vests probably weren't the best. You're probably still fighting to keep your head above water with right. these life vests on. So you're kicking for days. Obviously sometimes somebody's gonna be scared that they're gonna go under where the sharks are. Yeah. And, and freak out. And, and, yeah, and grab somebody. You know, or one of these people drinks the water and they slip into madness and just start freaking out, foaming, shaking, yep. whatever. Yeah, that's terrifying. I think that's more terrifying than... People terrify me more than the sharks terrify yeah. me. Yeah. And that's saying something yeah. with this whole scene. <laughs> After 11 a.m. on their fourth day in the water, a Navy plane flying overhead spotted the Indianapolis survivors and radioed for help. Within hours, another seaplane manned by Lieutenant Adrian Marks returned to the scene and dropped rafts and more supplies. When Marks saw that the men were being attacked by sharks, he disobeyed orders and landed in the infested waters and began taxing his plane to help the wounded and stragglers who were at the greatest risk. Oh, wow. Good for that guy. What a hero. Exactly. A little after midnight, the USS Doyle arrived on the scene and helped to pull the last survivors from the water. Of the Indianapolis original 1,196 men and crew, only 317 remained. And how many landed? How many made it in the water? 900. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Hundreds were eaten by sharks. Oh Hundreds. God. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's very insensitive. I'm sorry, but that's just insane. Like I'm just flabbergasted. That's crazy. That's just insane. Afterwards, um, the commanding officer of the Indianapolis, Captain Charles B. McVeigh III, was among the survivors. He became the only ship's captain in the U.S. Navy to be court-martialed in connection with the loss of a ship in combat in World War II. Wasn't he? Wasn't he in trouble for? Because they thought that he should have been, like zigzagging. Yeah. So right here, uh, in February 1946, McVeigh was found guilty of negligence for having failed to steer their ship in the zigzag course to help evade enemy submarines. Um, he was found not guilty on another charge, having failed to promptly issue orders to abandon the ship. I mean, a torpedo hit in literally 12 minutes, it sank. What? Yeah, what was he going to do? Exactly. He, he was very... People, um, it's easy for somebody to make accusations than to be there themselves, yeah. you know. So the military court recommended clemency, and the sentence of decrease in seniority was set aside. But upon his retirement in 1949, McVeigh was prompted to uh, rear admiral, and he committed suicide in 1968. Yeah, I was waiting to hear that. I feel like you just, he probably, he probably got shit for his whole, the whole rest of his life. Yeah, but imagine being probably, in that situation, yeah. and your men are dying around you. You went through this traumatic ordeal of thirst and starvation and fighting off sharks. They yeah. kind of are mad at you for this whole scene. Isn't there a movie about this? There is a this? movie about this, yes. I thought there was. I've um, never seen it, but very I... Very good movie. It depicts everything 
pretty pretty clear. I saw is. pictures, and then yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm like, yo, that's Nicholas Cage. Yeah, Nicholas Cage. Was I was in like, it. yo, these aren't <laughs> real pictures. <laughs> and jump forward over uh, the numerous years, efforts were undertaken to find the Indianapolis. Um, however, given its depth, uh, around 3.4 miles below water, and uncertainty about its exact location, the wreckage uh, remained lost until August 2017 when it was discovered by a team of researchers led by Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft. I think it's really crazy that these people that are like, like, look at James Cameron. Like people that are obsessed he's with like, these stories, he, they just yes, pay all this money and go like, find it. Like, you know? he literally just funded, like, a whole trip to, like, Mariana's Trench. Yeah. And just, like, went and did his thing down there. Those are deep, can, dangerous can he, waters. Like, <laughs> rolling in dough. Just like, well, I'm going to go found this little expedition on the ocean. Like, <laughs> yeah. so fancy. And isn't that, like... Like, supposedly, like, 18,000 feet below. Whatever, 3.4 miles? Yeah, it's, like, crazy. Comes like, out to? It's a crazy depth that this ship sank to. My, my twin sister, Taylor, is, like, super. She just, like, loved... She read this book as a kid. It's all the kid did was fucking read. And she just loves this whole story. It's probably one of the main reasons why we both are, are interested in sharks in general. And she was giving me all this information, so that's why I definitely wanted to bring it up. I'm like, 18,000 feet is a long way down. That's a long way down. You ain't seeing anything going down there. No. <laughs> but scary. they probably couldn't do it beforehand because, because the technology that we have yeah, now absolutely. is why they were able to do absolutely. it. Absolutely. I just think it's funny that he's a co-founder of Microsoft, and he's just like, let's go check it out. Someone had to fund it. True that. True <laughs> that. You're right. Well, that is the story of the USS Indianapolis and that awful shark attack, frenzy, whatever you want to call it, that happened when the survivors went into the water. We are going to bite into a short break, <laughs> and when we get back, we're going to sick our teeth into some more shark attack stories. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun 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 dun. Ghost Encounters Podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your online presence with their digital marketing experts, professional photography, and video productions. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. We are back. Before we dive into some more stories, Jordan, can you tell us some interesting facts about sharks? So, I can start off with um, five things that are more likely to kill you than a shark attack. Ooh. Um, this one is hysterical. I shouldn't laugh because I feel bad for the people that die this way. Um, vending machines kill more people <laughs> <laughs> per year than sharks. What, is, we, there, is, there, is there stuff getting stuck and they're pushing it and it's falling on I it? have no idea, but 13 people per year die from vending machines. Well, how many people die per year from shark attacks? It could range. It, it varies. So, What's the average? It's like six to eight shark attacks a year, okay. fata fatalities. Um, I'm thinking, like, there was, I think, 2019, it was really, like, low year of shark attack. Nobody freaking... It's not like this year where you're hearing about it left and right. Um, there was only five fatal shark attacks. Um, but in 2021, if you remember, um, it was like considered a really big year for shark attacks. Right. It was like the most catastrophic thing ever. Guess what the number of fatalities was? What was it? Ten. Ten. Worldwide. Worldwide. Ten. Not just USA. Not just Worldwide. here. Worldwide. That's very few. Yes. 
What are some of the other statistics you found about that'll kill you more likely than a shark? So I know you're going to be thrilled with this one. Um, jellyfish kill... Oh, I hate jellyfish. I know. <laughs> jellyfish kill eight times as many people per year. They eight times as many people. They cause up to 40 deaths a year. Holy um, shit. And jellyfish can also cause vastly larger numbers of injuries than sharks can. So as we all know, box jellyfish, they can kill you. Like, Instantly. In, in minutes, in hours. Like they're, It's quick. They're like the worst jellyfish that you want to pretend is a freaking plastic bag in the ocean. They creep me out. I know. <laughs> I, know I, think, I, think, I think my fear started from the movie The Sphere I've with never Dustin seen that. Hoffman. And there's a scene where like thousands of jellyfish like surround this, this underwater vessel and like kill this person that was outside in a suit. Oh, no. And like, it's all like inside of her. Like, ugh. Ew. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I can see why you're traumatized now. Um,. This is another punny, funny one. Um, beds. Um, nowhere in the world could be safer than your bed, right? But um, you're safer in open water risking shark attacks than in your bed, even the jellyfish. So 450 people per year die falling out of their bed in the U.S. alone. Okay, that's got to be like old people or something. And that Come number on. doesn't include people dying in their bed. That's the number of people that die falling out Just of their falling bed. Just falling out. Yes. 450 people what die per people year. What are people doing? Fall, sleeping on a top bunk? Like, yeah, they must really just hit head first. I don't know. Oh Crack their neck. Who the, who the heck knows? Um, another one, as we all know, is falling coconuts kill more people <laughs> per year than sharks. Really? <laughs> falling coconuts kill 150 people per wow. year. Um, that's 30 times more than sharks. Jeez. Some other examples that I thought were super, super crazy, and I didn't even think about them until like I read up on it. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. People choke people and choke die. On hot yep. dogs. Mosquitoes, because mosquitoes carry damn near everything. I, I figured that one. Um, roller coasters. Oh. Dogs, because dogs, you know, attack. Well, don't ruin roller coasters we, for me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we said lightning already, but also hippos. Those Hippos are nasty. They're scary. They're they will scary. charge at you. Have oh, you ever yeah. seen videos of them like underwater just like boom, 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 boom. You don't they're... see them, but you see the water ripple. You don't realize. They're nasty. Creepy. Uh, wasps. Oh, I Airplanes, bathtubs, and volcanoes. So volcanoes. Those are, those are more likely to kill you than a shark attack. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. When you, like, when you think about that, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Insane. So like I said, on like average, we know that sharks kill around six to eight people per year, and that number varies. Um, even though the number of non-deadly shark attacks are high, because like I was just telling Justin at the break, like we're probably at like close to 50 like shark attacks, non-deadly shark attacks. Um, usually sharks find out, unfortunately, after a quick bite that you aren't, you aren't good enough for them to eat, that you, you taste like crap, you know? Um, most times it's mistaken identity and the sharks just don't see us as food. We're not, we're not a part of their food chain. Um, but unfortunately, which is very, very sad and it upsets me daily, 10 million sharks are killed each year. 10 million? 10 million sharks. That's More specifically, that's like an estimated 6.4 to 7.9 of all shark species in the world are killed each year because of how many we're killing. Wow. Um, if we're converting that into hours, per hour... 11,416 sharks are killed wor worldwide. Wow. That's a lot of sharks. Per hour. Per hour. That's crazy. So that's almost 12,000 sharks killed per hour. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Most of the sharks are on the endangered species list somewhere. They could be vulnerable to extinction. They could be endangered, critically endangered. Um, most reasons for this, you know, is sharks are hunted and killed because they're scary. And, you right. know, as always, we have to be on the beach. And even though it's their habitat, we kill them. Um, they could get stuck in fishing nets. And as we talked about, they need to const- some species need to constantly be moving. And once um, they stop, they're... Yeah, so when they get stuck, they're not moving, there's no oxygen getting in their lungs, and they die. Um, There's overfishing, which is a big problem, as we all know, in the world today. Um, Popular nesting grounds have been affected, so new baby sharks can't thrive and and succeed. They get caught up in fishing nets because they don't know anything. (laughs) They're little. Um, A good example of overfishing is the striped smooth hound shark. If you look this up, it's a pretty cool-looking shark. It's a little tiny guy. Um, but the species has declined a massive 96% due to their nursing grounds being pop- a popular fishing area. Um, the fishery killed so many mothers and pups from this population that they're now critically endangered. You can barely find them. Oh, wow. Um, lastly, um, habitat degradation from pollution. Pollution I did my senior thesis on. Um, and ocean acidification, it's killing their habitats. They have the coral reefs we know are bleaching from um, global warming and all this other pollution. And the list can go on and on, but um, all we know is that species are declining and we need to we need to help them. We need sharks in our oceans yeah. to keep the food chain going. Right. If we have no sharks, your ocean's not gonna be blue because it's not controlling everything else. All those extra fish, all yeah, those extra I creatures. Yeah, I think people fail to realize that, be that as soon as you get rid of a species, it affects all the other species. No matter how scary they are. You risk yourself going into that ocean. The sharks aren't after you. They don't know what the heck you are most of the time. Right. So it's very unfortunate. And if I had the money, I would would be in this science. (laughs) I'd be in there donating, helping everybody. Save the sharks. Now that we know a little bit more about sharks, let's swim our way to some other shark attack stories. Cape San Juan, 1943. 825 fatalities. On the 12th of November, 1943, the Cape San Juan, a 6,711-ton U.S. freighter and troop transport ship, was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine in the Pacific Ocean near Fiji Islands. The ship was sailing from San Francisco to Townsville, Australia. It contained 49 crew, 41 gunners, and 1,348 U.S. Army troops on board, making a total of 1,438 people. 130 of them were killed either when the torpedo struck or immediately afterwards when they jumped overboard into water and drowned. 483 survivors were plucked from the seas by rescue ships and seaplanes. It was reported that sharks were attacking the survivors even as the rescuers were trying to pull them out of the water. Oh my gosh, jeez. That's how hungry they They were. They were hungry. (laughs) 695 people died trying to fight off sharks. Oh my gosh. In total, 825 people lost their lives. Most likely, they were oceanic white tips. Yeah, they're like the go-tos. I feel like they're just not shy. I feel like they would be the ones to like literally dive out of the water to try to eat people that are being rescued. Yeah, if you have the gut for it and you're not really worried, there's a good shark attack like 
documentary on Discovery Plus. You can look and you can see it talks about their behavior. It talks. It shows videos of like this diver just going down and they don't notice the oceanic white tip coming up behind them and it just grabs his shoulder. Oh my god! And they just don't give a shit. Like they're they just like, well, you're moving. You got those fins on. I'm just gonna try you out. Yeah. You know, but the shark does let go and goes away. Right. But the guy's shoulders bit. You Everyone's know? so afraid of these other sharks, but they are really. These are really the ones that they, you have to worry yeah, about. Yeah. Them. I feel like reef sharks too. They're just some of the bolder ones like if i was going swimming and i was going on a shark tour and they said we're going swimming with caribbean reef sharks i'd say pass bye you guys Another can go without one. me i just they're just too bold for me uh, they're too bold what would you rather swim with oceanic white tips or the reef sharks mm, that's pick. a tough one <laughs> that's a really tough one for your safety which which one would you rather probably the reef sharks because at least I'd have a guide with me, maybe. Right. And we're shallow waters. I'll be like, run! <laughs> run, save me! Let's go over to the next one. British troop ship Nova Scotia. 750 fatalities. On November 28, 1942, the British troop ship Nova Scotia was torpedoed by a U-boat 50 kilometers off Cape St. Lucia in South Africa. 750 troops perished, about a quarter of them taken by oceanic white-tipped sharks. Only 192 survived. You know, they're, they keep talking about these oceanic white tips, but honestly, they probably got plucked off by um, whites also. They're pretty popular in South Africa. Are white they? sharks, yeah. The Nova Scotia had been ferrying back and forth from Durban up the east coast of Africa to the Suez Canal. She was torpedoed by a German U-boat 177 while carrying 134 British and South African guards, 650 Italian prisoners of war, and 118 crew members. The ship sank just seven minutes after the Germans fired three torpedoes, throwing the survivors into the shark-infested waters where they had to desperately cling on to anything they could. Wow. The German U-boat surfaced to try to discover what they had hit. They were greeted with mayhem. Hundreds of men were floundering in the water and screaming for help. The next day, another ship, the Alfonso de Albuquerque, came to their rescue, but many were already dead. They safely plucked 190 from the water. Later, two survivors turned up on the shore, having floated on a raft without food or water for two weeks. That would be more agonizing. I would right? go crazy. I'd rather be eaten by the sharks. I was just going to say, I'd probably go under. I would just go under. I'd rather be eaten by the sharks. Take me out. The next one is the Donna Paz disaster. 4,375 fatalities. Wow. The vast majority of the victims burned to death. However, over 300 bodies were later recovered from the seas covered in shark bites. On December 20th, 1987, the MV Donna Paz collided with an oil tanker MT Vector while en route from Liet Island to Manila in the Philippines. Both ships burst into flames after the Vector's cargo ignited. Within four hours, both ships had sunk. It was an incredible eight hours before the authorities learned of the incident, and another eight before aid was sent to the stricken area. Subsequent investigators revealed that life jackets were in a locked cupboard. Neither ships had radio or flares to send out distress signals. Furthermore, the MV Donna Paz was enormously overloaded. Originally designed to carry just 608 passengers, she was stuffed to the gunnels with at least three to 4,000 passengers. Oh my god. Well over the ship's manifest of 1,500. Coupled with the oil tanker having an expired license and untrained crew, the meeting of those two ships was a maritime disaster waiting to happen. 
that sounds pretty freaking serious. Uh-huh. I can't believe that oh, this... Oh, it gets better. Oh, it was discovered that an apprentice crew member was in charge of the bridge when the accident occurred, and the trained officers were either drunk or watching TV. Oh, my God. Yep. After the explosion, those not caught in the blast had to flee for their lives by jumping overboard into shark-infested waters of the Talbot Strait. Many burned in the waters, which by this time was also a light. There were only 26 survivors, 24 passengers from the ferry, and two crew members from the oil tanker. Wow, that's a pretty serious one. That's that's tragic. Yeah. That's horrible. So in this area, uh, what most likely were the kinds of sharks that were attacking these guys? So I'll start off, um, bull sharks, um, they are pretty badass. I well, love, it's a name like bull sharks. I love learning about them, and if you look up pictures of them, they're also pretty beefy. <laughs> I wonder why they're called bulls. But um, they can be found worldwide in tropical and warm temp oceans, like warm temperature oceans. Um, most people know, which I think is the coolest thing ever, bull sharks can also be found in rivers and lakes. What? You can find a bull shark in the Mississippi River, people. No shit. Super cool, yeah. Um, they're one of the only sharks that are able to switch from saltwater to freshwater. That's crazy. They are considered aggressive predators. I mean, if you... Oh, they like bull sharks. Yeah, you know if I mean. you're a shark fanatic like I am, these guys are top tier. They're they're pretty, pretty badass. Um, and they can get pretty damn big. Um, the adults are the top predators, like in the food chain. They're, there's nothing that that goes after them. They go after everything. Um, they're also known to do the bump and bite technique for hunting. Right, just like the oceanic white tips you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. They're like... Bump you, test you out, and then just come back and start. Yeah, they, they bump you, they boop you, they'll come around, and then they'll bite you. Like, if, if they see a certain reaction out of you. Um, they use their body weight to stun prey. So, um, before they come back to eat, like, they'll just, like, Put charge, everything into you. Charge, charge you like a bull. bull. Yeah. Oh my. Oh well. And they're big. Like they're big. They're big, big I'll boys. Just knock the air out of you, and then there you are, drowning in the water. Yeah. Or if you're in the water and something bumps on you, you're just like, "What was that? You shouldn't ask that. You should just go. Yeah. Just get out. Like rule of thumb. If you're in murky water, and you feel a hard bump, get the hell out of the water. Um, they have been known to be like carnivores towards their own species. Um, oh. they're known to eat smaller sharks. Because they go to rivers and lakes in these long... They're not there just temporarily. Like, we're talking like bull sharks can, like, thrive in rivers and lakes. Um, when they're in rivers and lakes in freshwater for long periods of times, uh, females tend to give birth there, actually. Oh. So when they go, the females are ready to have their pups. They'll just go drop them off, and then it actually helps the species out because then they can thrive in the rivers where there's not that many predators right. typically before they go out into the big ocean Smart. where yeah yeah so definitely a cool like evolution for them um bull sharks come into close contact with people as we know you can you probably see them on the news all the time um most incidents when they have been like biting people or have been reported to bite people it's been in rivers rather than the oceans that's crazy to think yeah about. yeah it's it's insane. I'm pretty sure Jeremy Wade has done a River Monsters episode where he's found bull sharks in like rivers. Now we're all these listeners are gonna be terrified to even go in the lakes now. <laughs> no, <laughs> go at your own risk, people. <laughs> um, but even so, these events are extremely rare. Put a little peace of mind. As we yeah. know, as we yeah, you know, Jordan gave us the, the statistics, and it is very rare. But yeah, still scary. 
Unfortunately, um, because of the bull shark size, if it does bite a person, it only takes one, like, little try-out bite. To kill for, Yeah, for a person to realize that this is super traumatic and, you know, normally people die. Um, the species, unfortunately, is considered near-threatened with extinction from fishing and also being caught in nets, like we talked about before. Um, but one thing that I found out which really makes me angry, like, red in the face angry... There's an issue going on with culling operations. What's that? So these operations are to help beachgoers feel safer. So pun intended, it's bullshit. <laughs> because by doing this, sharks are deliberately killed by government authorities. So I know that there's a lot of like conservationists and people, scientists coming together to like completely try to eliminate that. I'm not sure if it's completely eliminated at this point, but I know that it's, like, a super issue, big issue for the So what's going sharks. on? If they, if they spot a shark, they just immediately have orders to kill it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And bull sharks, if they're in a certain area, depending on, like, like say people are going in the ocean and that's where they want to, like, cruise by to find food, if that's, like, where they go as a pit stop before they go to the nursery, like, the mm -hmm. nursing grounds and stuff like that, they're the ones that are going to be targeted. They're going to be the ones affected by that. Right. So it's, that, that's really crappy. That we shouldn't be doing stuff like that because of all of that fishing and all of the killings and stuff like that. That's why it's really hard for you to find sharks, like you used to be able to find. We have ten percent of what we used to have right. in the ocean. But uh, moving forward, silky sharks—they're super silky. They <laughs> I guess that's why I call them silky sharks. <laughs> they have a silky smooth hide. Um, they get their name because of that. If you look them up, like in pictures and stuff, like even at night you see they're really shiny and oh, cool. Wow. They're really, yeah. They're found in subtropical waters, and you can find them on continental and island shelves, slopes, deep water reefs, and, and even in the open ocean. Um, they're also occasionally um, sighted inshore, which is kind of terrifying. But because um, they're just so diverse. Right. Like you can go from being on a reef, you can go from being in the open ocean, and then here we are. Hello, people on the beach. Like, you know, um, they are considered, they're one of the top, top like five or six that are dangerous to humans because they're aggressive and they have that, that size advantage. Um, they just aren't shy, just like oceanic white tips. They're just not shy. They're bold. So these sharks have been observed with their heads raised, back arched and tail lowered, which is a posture that scientists have now correlated with um, forms of threat displays. Uh -huh. Okay. So if you see a shark and it'd be looking like a little dog ready to attack. Bye. <laughs> Get out of there. So a very serious thing for silky sharks specifically is that their meat, oil, and fins of this specific species are sold commercially. Uh -huh. um, they're fished by rec recreational fishermen because they have that cool hide. They have that cool skin. Um, like other sharks, the silky sharks are vulnerable to overfishing because it's they have this long gestation period. So when they, like, you know, go to have babies and all that stuff, it's just, it's a low lum number of offspring and a slow growth rate. Gotcha. So it's like if they're, the, the female gets pregnant, they have to wait so and so many months. Like for some of them, it's like 19 months. Oh, wow. It could be even more than that. And they don't have a lot of prey. It's like elephants. There's just not a lot of them. They don't give they don't give birth to 99 mm -hmm. pups. They give birth to like two. And then if they're they're killed, then that whole process has to go over again. Yeah. 
So unfortunately, that's just, they're just, they're all dying out. Well, let's go to the last story here, and probably one of the oldest recorded shark attacks in history. The HMS Birkenhead, 1852, 440 fatalities. On the 26th of February, 1852, HMS Birkenhead sank after striking an uncharted submerged rock off of Danger Point, South Africa. On board were 643 people, mainly British and Irish soldiers and some of their wives and children. On their long journey from Portsmouth, England, they had stopped at Simonstown near Cape Town to pick up fresh supplies. Most of the women and children left the ship, as did several sick soldiers. They picked up nine cavalry horses at Simonstown and on February 25th left on the final leg of their journey to Port Elizabeth, South Africa, with around 630 people on board. In the early hours of the morning, tragedy struck when the ship hit a rock. Oh, no. Water flooded into the forward compartment of the lower troop deck, drowning at least 100 soldiers in their hammocks as they slept. That's, like, my biggest fear. That's awful. Like, I, just drowning, drowning? freaks me. Oh. Like, I, it's, it literally makes my palms sweat. You yeah. were just reading that made me sweat. The captain, Robert Salmon, ordered evacuation of the ship, but only five of the ship's seven lifeboats could be floated. Why? Well, the two larger lifeboats, capable of carrying 150 men, were swamped and unusable. It just had to be the larger boats. Right? You know, like... Without being asked, the soldiers all stood in a line, allowing the women and children to enter the working lifeboats. The expression, women and children first, originated from the selfless act. Oh, wow. That's cool. Cool information. Yeah. Sad information. Cool well, information. sad and cool. The bravery of these soldiers set a new maritime disaster protocol, even though the term was not until eight years later in 1860. As the ship sank, the soldiers and the horses were thrown into the sea three miles from land. So in this area of South Africa, what kind of sharks are most likely going to be the ones that would have eaten these people? I said, um, I think earlier in the podcast, great whites are pretty well known over there. Um, great whites, the baddest of the ocean. Right. You think of, you think of Jaws right away. Yeah. When, you know, you, the you gnarly, the whites. big daddies of the <laughs> ocean. Um, they are the top predator in the ocean. Because the only two sharks that are bigger than great whites are basking shark and a whale shark. And we both know that, and we all probably know, that they eat like plankton and right. they don't, shit like that. Right. Tiny, itty bitty things. Um, great whites are located worldwide um, in tropical and cold waters. Um, they can be found in coastal and open waters. Um, we all know that they're aggressive, so I don't even really need to say anything about that. Um, they have an extremely muscular body. Um, they have a really cool way of hunting. They're capable of chasing down some of the fastest swimmers in the ocean. Um, freaking great whites can reach up to a length of 20 feet oh and weigh God. several tons. Like, we all know about my favorite, Deep Blue, which is a massive, massive great white shark. If you ever have time, look up a video of that great. She is so cool. Um... They're perfectly adapted for a life of predation. Like, they, the females get larger. They're, these things are just freaking massive. Though most, um, almost all of fish are cold-blooded, great whites have this specialized blood vessel structure um, called a counter-current exchanger. This allows them to maintain a body temperature that is higher than the surrounding water. Um, and that's a little bit different than having, like, endothermic heat and stuff like that. Like, um, a poor beagle shark, they live up in cold waters. They don't have to leave cold waters. They can stay there. Mm. And I'm talking, like, cold. Like, they'll be in the winter 
up in Maine. They in the water. had no idea sharks went up that high. Yeah, they they're it's pretty it's pretty badass. Um, and they look a lot like mangoes and stuff like that, which we'll get into in a minute. This adaptation provides them with a major advantage when hunting in cold water by allowing them to move more quickly and intelligently. Obviously, when we know when we jump in cold water, we're like stunned. Well, great right. whites don't have to worry about that. One cool thing that we're probably gonna all see on either if you watch Shark Fest or Shark Week, which is coming up, um, they great whites are really well known for spy hopping, which is when the animal brings its head above the water surface to take a look at their prey. Um, the great white shark is one of the only shark species to known to utilize this technique for hunting. Um, on these, like, in documentaries and all that stuff, if you, like, they take videos of sharks, like, especially, like, if you notice, great whites do this more than the average shark. They'll put, they'll lay on their side and you'll see their big black eye literally just staring oh. at you on a boat or circling That's Sail creepy. Island. They try to see what's out there. That's and creepy. it's, I think it's awesome that they even can see you know, outside the water. like outside of the water, because they're they're and adapted judge where to. The prey is. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and after checking everything out, the the white shark can travel below the surface and wait for that moment to seize their prey. Like I was saying, seals, they're chilling on Seal Island. Shark just checked them out. Now shark goes down a couple feet. When it's time for those seals to go, this bad boy or girl is gonna shoot up out of the water and get them. Wow! Right as they're swimming on the like at the top um it's so it's like my favorite thing to watch seeing this huge shark shoot out of the water after its prey it's it's actually called breaching um while great whites are one of the few species to have known to bit like bite and kill people these events are extremely rare um with <laughs> just like the bull shark it sucks i shouldn't have laughed that was me but they're just so big you know that if a, if a great white's gonna accidentally bite you in the stomach it's kind of traumatic it's gonna be a traumatic bite so most of the time that bite could leave somebody in bad shape but as we know if you if everybody's been keeping up with sharks like i have um in i think it was california that guy he got bit like in his like arm and stomach area oh. by a great white and and these people were on because of how and who these people are on the beach, like it was like an EMT and a police officer, they actually saved the guy. Wow. He got bit like in his stomach. That's, that's crazy. A, that's crazy. So you could tell that the shark bit him and let go. Because um, a great white could do some damage. Oh yeah. Um, they're huge. <clears throat> yeah, they're, they're massive. Um, one horrible thing about great white sharks is because of how cool they are and how intimidating they are and all these other variables, people capture way too many of these sharks and they're targeted through fisheries, accidental catches, and scientists are genuinely really, really worried about these sharks and they're worried that they're vulnerable to extinction. There, there was a documentary that I was just watching a little bit ago where around the time Jaws came out, these boats just went out and they found like where a lot of whites were and they just started catching them and pulling them onto the boat. Wow. Catching oh, all these juvenile God. whites and just bringing them onto the boat and just letting them die because That's they didn't awful. want them in the ocean. Yep. So it's just, it's just terrible. It, it's just terrible. And they're just so cool. Like they're the coolest things in the ocean. The coolest shark in the ocean almost. I mean, everybody has their opinions, but they're pretty <laughs> badass. Um, but another shark that is like, predominantly in this area would be a mako shark. Everybody knows about mako sharks, I hope, because they're really cool. Um, there's two types of mako sharks, short fin and long fin makos. 
Um, short fins are more common. Um, they're found in tropical to temperate waters, um, but they are also open ocean sharks um, as great whites. They kind of look like mini great whites. <laughs> if, oh, really? you, if you really look at them, yeah. Um, they're considered aggressive. Uh, they have the amazing ability to just be the cheetah of the ocean. Like, they can reach top speeds of 45 miles an hour, burst speeds of 70 Holy miles shit. an hour. Yeah, they're fast. They're they're super, and they use that. You ain't swimming away from that. And they use that to catch, like, things like tuna. We all know that tuna are super fast. Yeah. Um, we all know that they are the fastest shark, but they're, like, one of the fastest fishes on the planet. Oh, out of all the fish, they're one of the fastest. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, they also have that specialized blood vessel structure that we talked about, um, so they can maintain the body temperature and keep it higher than the surrounding water to, so that they can use those bursts of speeds as an mm -hmm. advantage. Adults get pretty big, um, so they don't have any other like known natural predators. Um, juveniles, unfortunately, um, likely can be eaten by other sharks like cannibalist and even cannibalistic um adults like makos are mm. kind of like bulls in that aspect where yeah, they, they can go hungry, after they're hungry yeah well and they're also in the open ocean where Food they're hungry yeah they're hungry they're gonna eat shorefin makos um are one of the uh very few shark species known to have bitten and killed people like i feel like in egypt and like those like red sea attacks you hear a lot of them being makos gotcha um, but these events are extremely rare. It's accident most of the time. Um, no matter where they live, they're targeted by commercial fisheries or they're captured accidentally um, while they're targeting other species of sharks. That's just a, that's just a traumatic statement. Yeah. Um, these sharks are valued for the high quality of their fins and their meat. Fishers that use long line fishing gear to target swordfish, yellowfin tuna, and other tunas regularly capture shortfin makos because they're hunting right, those they're things, hunting so then they get themselves caught in the nets. Um, they're also vulnerable to extinction, and they're, they're going through a lot of conservation to try to keep them around. Um, the other mako, the longfin mako, is found in tropical to warm temperature waters, and they're also an open ocean shark. Um, they're large predators you know same as the other mako um they can reach a maximum length of 14 feet which That's still i big. think is huge <laughs> so yeah. imagine a great white like it it's just crazy that these things are in our oceans um but very little is known about the biology of longfin mako sharks because they're often mistaken for shortfin makos hmm. and like even their statistics sometimes get put in to gotcha. shortfin makos Longfin uh, makos have unique anatomy that leads researchers to believe that these sharks are much slower and less active than short fins. And um, there are other white shark relatives, such as poor beagle sharks and blue sharks. Poor beagle sharks look so similar to mako sharks. <laughs> and blue sharks, they're like long, skinny. Mm -hmm. They're also really fast sharks, um, and they're both pelagic sharks. There's been a significant decline in global population size. Um, so that's like 50 to 79% in the last 75 years. Wow. That's a lot of decline. Yeah. Like that's half of the species gone, more than half of the species gone. Yeah, it's just, it's very traumatic to see that because of all the hype and all the scary stuff that they're perceived to do, that these, as all a these unit, all these sharks, are being, yeah. You know, endangered for extinction. Yeah. Another one that I thought was funny that it didn't come up a lot was tiger sharks. 
Yeah, I because they're don't remember bad. that coming up. Yeah, they're badasses. They're very bold. You know, they're found in coastal waters and travel to open ocean to go between islands. Like mm-hmm. they're like you know Hawaii, Australia. They're found mm-hmm. at them. And they're garbage cans of the sea. You can find, like, a toilet bowl lid in their stomach, a license plate, <laughs> like, all that stuff. So I would be not surprised if they were a part of some of these shark attacks. Right. That they're just not documented as being the cause. Um, they're definitely known to bite people. We all know about that surfer that had her whole arm ripped off. Oh, is that a tiger shark? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, um, you know, because they're so- they're huge, you know, there's going to be fatalities because they, one bite is enough. And they also have really cool teeth that have like a hook. They're like kind of hooked. Ooh. So they like their little delicacy is sea turtles because they can rip they apart can actually, their oh, wow. their shell. Yeah. So I would I, I literally wouldn't be surprised if these these sharks ate sailors in their day. Oh, know, I'm sure they did. When they were thriving. I'm sure they did. The stories we went over were just like had the most shark fatalities. Yeah. Amongst other Shark attacks. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised. We've got some other baddies out there coming <laughs> in to swoop and eat some sailors along the way. Well, there you have it, everybody. These were the stories of the worst shark attacks, and Jordan gave us some awesome information about all these sharks just in time for Shark Week. That's all the time we have for this episode. We'll bite you next time. Stay spooky. And learn to love the sharks.